We're looking at Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan, and that's many people's favorite parable, and many would say it's one of their favorite passages in all the Bible. It's just an awesome text. Luke, whose name meant brought light or brought knowledge, was a very wise person. He was a physician and a beloved physician. Everybody must have loved him. And he wrote uh, 18 unique parables, 23 parables, and 18 of his parables are unique. In other words, no one else comments on them. And we know that uh, he was not one of the 12. He evidently came to know the Lord later, but we know he traveled with Paul on a second missionary journey. And uh, here's the first of the Perean parables. Now, Perea is not a place per se. Uh, scholars referred to it as everything beyond Jordan. And Josephus, who was a historian that lived at the time of Christ, tells us that it includes the boundaries from uh, Pella to Marcus, Marcacius. And then he talks about from the desert to the Jordan River and gives you sort of an idea of this region beyond. There weren't many places to, to, to live, but Jesus traveled on some of these old dusty roads and these little villages in this area outside of Jordan. Some scholars suggest that uh, John 10, uh, shepherd and the sheep, is uh, the first Perean parable, but most would say that's an allegory and not a parable. Parables are different. They cast things alongside of each other. We know that uh, there's certain ways to identify a parable, but almost every scholar concludes that this story of the Good Samaritan is a first Perean parable. And the main truth here is if you're righteous, you'll meet the need of others. Isn't that true? James says, show me your faith by your works. I mean, everybody professes to be a Christian. Not everybody, but many, many people who don't know anything about God. And so this is, is a matter of meeting others' needs. Um, I love John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. And here's one of the great Bible examples. Here's a lawyer. Now we have in our lesson several people. We have several people with big positions in life, the lawyers. Um, and they were really scribes of the Pharisees. They were also scribes of the Sadducees. Those were the lawyers. They were doctors of the law. They kind of replaced the original priest. They were teachers of students. Uh, they demanded respect, honor, and rank. They sort of asked for money in a roundabout way. And uh, their reward, they thought, was money uh, from God. But, of course, that's not necessarily a reward. Uh, a lot of people preach and teach the prosperity gospel. We also have priests. Remember, Moses consecrated Aaron and his sons as priests. Later, the tribe of Levi was purified as priests. Uh, the priestly line from Aaron to Solomon, then transferred from Eli to Zadok. So all this is in your notes, but I just want to give you a little introduction here. Then the Levites. The Levites were porters to the temple. They carried the water and set things up, took things down, uh, but they were not allowed to go in, according to Numbers chapter 4. And in Numbers chapter 8, we know the uh, priests did the service. The Levites just did all the work behind the scenes, kind of like the deacons of a church, you know. Um, they were purified but not consecrated. Um, they started serving when they were uh, young and, the, uh, excuse me, the firstborn of every, of every family in the tribe of Levi was consecrated uh, as a, uh, or I should say not consecrated, but uh, purified as a Levite at the age of 30, they began to serve. 
So Levites served from 30 to 50, those 20 years, that was it. And you have all this stuff, but uh, we know there were also Samaritans, uh, a Samaritan here, a good Samaritan, and they were half Israeli and half Assyrian. They were inhabitants of uh, the northern kingdom. They had their own temple because Jews wouldn't accept them. Today, there's still about two to 300 in a small community there. They hated Jews. In fact, in one battle, a guy by the name of Sorelius killed 11,000 Samaritans. So we have all these people, the lawyers, the Levites, the priests, and, and we also have the Lord Jesus, God in the flesh, you know that, the Messiah, Savior, sinless, perfect, born of a virgin, creator of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. And that's our Lord Jesus. So we look today at our text, verse 25. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? God bless us tonight. As we spend a few moments with you, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to hearts and that he'll be the teacher for each of us tonight. Help us to just glean and to, to, to find ourselves in this passage. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we know here it says a certain lawyer uh, tempted him. And the Greek word here that's translated tempted here is also translated tested in James 1.3. It's translated tried in Hebrews 11.17. There are several words in your Bible translated tempted. And so if you're not careful to do your word studies, which a lot of people are at a disadvantage, they don't know how to do that, but you need to ask your pastor, could Jesus be tempted? No, he cannot be tempted with sin, neither tempteth he any man. But here he's tested. This man's testing his knowledge of the law and testing to see what he'll say. And of course, Jesus is certainly smarter than he. He refers to Jesus as master. Um, he says, master, and the word master is translated several ways in your Bible. We don't have time to look, but you can look this up when you get home. It's translated doctor in Luke 2, 46. It's translated teacher. So he's being respectful. Um, but Jesus knew all things. So you're not going to test the Lord and, and expect him to fail the test. Now, they, that, this lawyer probably did. Lawyers quite often think they're smarter than everybody. I guess that's what this guy thought. He thought, well, I'll, I'll test him. He, he won't know how to answer that. And so he asked him these questions. He says, how can someone uh, inherit eternal life? Now, if somebody asked me that today, I would say, put your heart and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sins. But Jesus knew his heart. And Jesus wanted to give him the answer that he needed. And also to outsmart him and teach him a lesson. And obviously, when these hotshot lawyers, these scribes, would challenge Jesus, test him like this, they were trying to impress people, the onlookers, thinking, I'll entrap him, I'll outsmart him. They did that so much with the Lord Jesus, and he always outsmarted them. And that was part of showing that he's the all-knowing God. And so he, he, he questions him about what to do, and of course, the Lord answers um, him um, he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he's, of course, referring to Deuteronomy 6, 5, Leviticus 19, 18, which says, To love the, God, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and it goes on to say, uh, uh, with all thy strength. But So he, he knows the, 
he tells him, you, you tell me what the law says. And then the lawyer quotes those passages. And now the Lord's got him right where he wants him, you know. He's got him to say, you got to love the Lord with everything. And those Greek words are all there. You know, your heart is your cardia and your soul is your psych, psychology. Our word comes from it. And the mind is our word. We get our word diagnostics from. So he's, 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 he's answering him. And of course, he's speaking to him in Greek. We know that. And he's sharing this with him. Uh, and uh, the, the, the lawyer is actually speaking to Jesus. And Jesus is just biding his time and waiting. And then he said, Thou, you've answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But it says here, But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And there's where the Lord had him. <laughs> because the Jews were a very close society. And they didn't like anyone other than Jews. And when they did their alms and they gave to their charity, it was always the Jews that benefited. And so... He, he says, you know, you've said it right. Now go do it. Now go do it. And we know that, as already stated, on page, page 45 of your notes, Jesus then tells this story. He said, a certain man, most scholars tell us this was probably a Jew because a Jew would fit the passage just the way, uh, you know, uh, they would think about it. A certain man, one of their own, is making this trip. He's traveling from Jerusalem, 2,600 feet above sea level, down to Jericho, which is 800 feet below sea level. And it's a, a rocky, mountainous trip, probably, probably difficult to ride an animal, so most of it was done in walking. And he, he shares this, and he, he tells him all the things that happened to this man, this Jewish man. First of all, the robbers beat him up, and then we know the religious crowd... Uh, uh, you know, they passed him up, the Levites and priests. So here you have the Levites and priests didn't do a thing to help the man. Uh, so here he is. Robbers beat him up. The religious people, the priests and Levites passed him up. But a Samaritan picks him up. Yet I have here in the notes, and I know you, you'll read this later, but it says here, uh, the you know, that um, the robber said, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. The religious people said, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. But it was a righteous man who said, what's mine is yours, I'll share it. Now look at Proverbs chapter 24. Keep your finger in our parable. And let me read from you Proverbs chapter 24. Because the Jews knew the scriptures. And so Jesus, knowing everything about the Old Testament certainly was aware of all the verses that would work in this situation. But here in Proverbs 24, 11 and 12, it says, If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and these that are ready to be slain, if thou savest, if thou, excuse me, sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it, and he that keepeth the soul, doth he not know it, and shall not he render to every man according to his works? He says, when you know somebody's in need, you can act like you don't know. But when you know it, you're going you're gonna to answer to God for that. Now, that's a paraphrase of that. But that's what he says there. And so the Lord's making a great point here. He's got this man who said, well, you know, uh, what do you need to do to get eternal life? And, and he says, what does the law say? And the man quotes to him the passage from Deuteronomy. And it's repeated several times, repeated in the Gospels as well. 
And then the man, you know, he says to the man, then, then go and do this. Go do this for your neighbor. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? And this is going to be tough for a Jew because Jews wouldn't mingle or socialize with anybody outside of their race. They were very closed. Really, they were really racist. Terms used today in the world, and it's nauseating the way it's used. Um, and it's always, you know, we're, it seems like I've been accused of being racist several times in my life, and I've pastored many, many people from many walks of life. And I had a neighbor that owned a bar, and, and he was an African-American guy, and he kept calling me a racist because I wouldn't let him park in our parking lot and I said, we're not going to provide parking for bar patrons in a mission parking lot. And we just would constantly go at it. And I, I never got mad at him, but he kept saying I was a racist. So one day he came over and he's in a nice mood. And I said, I want you to see something. And I got out my old-fashioned missionary slide presentation. And I showed him families that we had led to the Lord. And I said, and several were black families. And he was just, and then I had a chance to tell him about Jesus. He needs to be saved, obviously. But he's not called me a racist since that day. But I've been called a racist, and I wanted to say to him, you're the racist. <laughs> you know, but I didn't want to do what the world would do, and that's what the world would do, right? Sometimes we want to do that. But the fact of the matter is, these people, Jews, were racist. Paul had to call Peter out for being that way. Peter wouldn't speak to a Gentile if he's around the Jews. He'd speak to him when the Jews weren't around, but... Boy, if one of the upper echelon Jewish people came around, Peter wouldn't. Paul called him on it, said, you're a hypocrite. And, uh, and Paul was right. Now, we have three different Samaritans in Scripture, don't we? Remember the grateful one? Ten lepers healed, and only the Samaritan came back and said, thank you. He was grateful. The guilty one, remember at the well, the woman at the well? She said, how are you, a Jew, even talking to me being a Samaritan? Jesus wasn't a racist. He loved all people. And here we have the Good Samaritan, today's text. He was so much like Christ. He was an outsider. He came to where the man was. He had compassion on the man. He provided for his needs. He put it on his account. I like that song, The Old Account Was Settled Long Ago. He picks this man up, patches him up, and then brings him to an inn and says, put it on my account. If that's not a type of Jesus taking our sin and putting it on his account, and, of course, we know he paid the price at the, at the motel. But let's look at some verses now. Here it says, This man went down to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. I mean, they took his clothing. They took everything. And here, verse 31, by chance, by chance, by God's uh, design, you know, there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And a Levite did the same thing. He looked on him and passed by. So they see the guy coming down the road. Here's this guy. Instead of helping him, they go on the other side of the road, totally avoid him. Now here's a priest and a Levite. You know, you know, they're getting much better than that. Um, obviously, the priest and Levi didn't know anything about loving your neighbor. But a certain Samaritan came to where he was. I like that. Did you know God came to me? 
When I got on my knees at 12 years old and prayed and received Jesus as my Savior, God was in that room. <laughs> we were attending First Baptist Church of Okemos. <clears throat> Okemos, Michigan is where I grew up and uh, didn't grow up in that town, but we were attending that church. And the preacher kept preaching on salvation every Sunday. And I didn't complain about it. I needed it. And I went home and in my bedroom trusted the Lord. And my whole family were all baptized. We were reared in a Christian Reformed church. My mom and dad were already Christians, but they were Christian Reformed, which is Calvinistic, five-point Calvin, Calvinistic people. And my dad said, I don't agree with that <laughs> limited atonement, the, the L. And he said, I believe we're totally depraved, and I believe God in his foreknowledge chooses us before the foundation of the world. But I don't believe in that limited atonement, First John 1 John 2, 2, 2 says. He didn't die just for my sins, John said, but for the sins of the whole world. And 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Whosoever will may come, and God's will is for everybody to be saved. So he died for everybody. So we left the Christian Reformed Church, and then we were never immersed. So my mom and dad were immersed, and the kids, all five of us had been saved. We had two, we had two more kids later. So all uh, five Plus, my parents, seven of us baptized then. My sisters were baptized later because they were a little younger, came along later. But anyway, um, I know he came to me. He knew where I was. God knew where I was going to school, a rough school. He knew I was headed for trouble. Our family had a lot of problems. Um, in fact, even though we were all saved, it was several years before I got right with God. I was 19 when I got right with God. I was saved at 12. Oh, I knew I was saved. The Holy Spirit never left me alone. My brothers and I were, we were kind of rough people. Uh, we had a basketball game one time and a fight broke out in the game. The game never ended. It was my two brothers that came down out of the bleachers started the fight because somebody tackled me and we got right in it there and the police came and the game never finished. It's a terrible testimony. Our poor church was embarrassed, but they stood behind us because we'd been saved. And they discipled us, and eventually we went to a great church called South Baptist with a big youth program, college program, and we all got right with the Lord. And all nine of us today, my sister's with Jesus. She died last year at 56 of cancer. But all, all of us active in church, serving the Lord. My sister's in Russia as a missionary. So look what God did with a bunch of ruffians, you know. He came to us. I didn't know how to get to God, but he knew how to get to me. The only way I could get to God was on my knees. And so I'll never forget that day. I could still remember the layout of my bedroom, where my bed was and where I knelt and where I prayed. Well, anyway, um, he saw him and he had compassion on him. And he went and took this guy and he put him on his animal, poured oil on his wounds uh, and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And when he departed, he took two pence and gave it to the host and said, take care of him and put everything on my account. When I come and again, I'll pay. And then Jesus says, now, which of these three was the neighbor? Which of these three? Thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, he that showed him mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. That would be a very tough test. When Jesus confronted people with these parables, he would often end challenging them to do something that for them would be life-changing. You remember when he talks to the rich young ruler, what does he say to him? 
Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Here he said to an aristocrat, go do what the Samaritan did. Well, that's going to be hard for this guy. He's a lawyer. He's a snob. He's intelligent, well-educated. Now I got to go help some Samaritan guy that's all beat up. Jesus always knows our heart. Do you know when he speaks to you, he speaks to you about what's going to be difficult for you. He's testing you, just like he tested this guy. Now, you're his child, but he'll put a thought on your head and you'll think, I, I can't do that, Lord. He's testing you. Don't fail the test. Now we're doing okay on time. We'll be out of here in a few minutes, but look at the application to your life. And, and this is stuff, you know, you take home, you work on it, but I always go through it anyway. The application. Jesus asked the rhetorical question, who is the neighbor? <laughs> Obviously, the guy knew the answer to that, but Jesus still makes him answer. I like that about our Lord. He puts us on the spot sometimes, doesn't he? I remember years ago, I was doing something I shouldn't do, and I just decided to, I just, I'd arrived at Bible college, and I'd been there a couple of years, and the Lord had started to work on me about preaching and eventually about going to the mission field. And I remember someone I worked with in the secular world and said, and you're going to be a preacher? And I'll tell you what, that hurt. I stepped back and I thought, he's right, you know. He's right. He was, I didn't get drunk, take drugs, beat anybody up, but I had an attitude. And he said, you're going to be a preacher. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I came back the next day. I said, I owe you an apology for my attitude. And he said, well, that's more like it. But sometimes the world will point out what's wrong in our lives. And we need to listen to it. Because they expect more of us. They look at us and they expect to see a Bible. They expect to see a saint. They expect to see somebody who's loving and patient and tender and all that, and we disappoint them so much. Well, the lawyer answered, he who showed mercy. The lesson is not teaching salvation by works, you know that. But truly, the truly righteous men will meet the need of others. Let me, let me say this. We do a lot of things that are good, maybe at church or in the community. And sometimes Christians almost work at things like this to almost earn salvation. And I know we don't mean to do that, but our lifestyles should be a result of the Spirit living in us. It should come out of the Spirit from the heart and so our flesh can generate good works and do things. But that doesn't mean it's God's work. When we're controlled by the Spirit, the ninefold fruit, it doesn't say nine fruits, it's one fruit, ninefold. We will be loving. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control, temperance, same thing. When we are what we ought to be, all those things are coming out of us. But what, is, what did we talk about Sunday? If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the works of the flesh. What's the flip side of that? When we're in the flesh, we're not examples of what the Holy Spirit is. And it's a bad testimony. And so 
According to Luke 150, to whom does God show mercy? In Luke 150, I'll, I'll give you the answer. You can look it up later. To those who fear him. Let me tell you something. If you don't fear God, he's not going to be merciful with you. You know why I don't go out and just go out and do whatever I want to do? And you know why some of you don't and hopefully all of you don't? Because we know God won't appreciate it and we fear him. We have to fear God. We have to fear God. The Bible says, fear God and keep his commandments. Ephesians 4 describes God in this way. He's rich in mercy. Folks, I'm so glad. I don't deserve to be saved. Who here deserves to be saved? I hope no hands would go up. I don't deserve to preach. I don't deserve to have sons that live for God. I wasn't the father I should have been. I tell people I broke every rule. I got mad at them, spanked them in anger, was impatient with them, didn't always help them with their schoolwork. You know, they saw me impatient in life. I remember one time, I, more than once, but I went to ball games and I'd yell and I'd yell at, oh, come on, rep, that's a terrible call. And, and I, you know, I'd go home and I'd confess and the next game I'd go, if there's a tight game, it's a close call again. Come on, ref. Give that guy some glasses, you know. I'd have to confess it again. My boys saw all that in me, you know. They'd seen all that. And my boys quite often would call me out on stuff. They were good for my accountability. <laughs> Dad, what would you preach? And didn't you preach about that in church? Oh, don't say that. I'm glad God's rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. He's also rich in grace, Ephesians tells us, right? Well, should early Christians have accepted the Samaritans? The answer is yes. Right out of Matthew 5, 7, you know this. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. If we're not merciful to others, we're not going to receive the mercy we need. Should we accept foreigners into the church? Yes. Can people from different races be part of God's family? Yes. You, you know the answers to those. But it's interesting. I'm one for the border wall. I like that, and I want him to finish it. But you know what? God is sovereign. And people who have come into this country illegally, I, I believe in legal immigration, but you know what? I have missionary friends that would say, Dan, I, I don't like the wall. We've had a lot of Spanish people saved in our church. They look at it different, and sometimes I have to think, oh, yeah, he's got a good point. You know, I want the wall. I still want the wall. <laughs> but, you know, God has allowed people to come into this country, and it's Christians' job to reach them. We have some great Spanish churches in our country today. Big ones, little ones, mission, send missionaries. And thank God for those churches. I was preaching in St. Louis in a Russian church, and I thought, isn't this awesome? All these people came to America. None of them, they weren't born and raised here. They all came legally, I hope. But it was my job to preach, not to question their citizenship. But I thought, isn't this awesome that all these Russian people are here and they've all been saved? Would they have been saved in Russia? I don't know. 
I don't know. So there's different ways of looking at things, you know. The illegals that have come in, they're here now. We might as well love on them and give them the gospel. Amen? You know, it's more important for us to share the gospel with an illegal immigrant than to turn them in for being illegal. Amen? It's a hard one to say amen to, isn't it? Oh, preacher, you're putting us on the spot. <laughs> I'd probably tell them about Jesus and then say, by the way, go get your paperwork done right. You know, because I'd still... I still want to do right as American. I want to do right as a preacher and as a preacher of the gospel. But let me tell you something. There are people that God has brought here that will cross our paths that need Jesus. And we cannot rule people out because they came here illegal or they look different. A highlight in your Bible, James 1 and 2, 22 says, Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. James 2.1 says, Have not the faith of God with being a respecter of persons. James 1.20, faith without works is dead. Look at the last five words of our text. What are the last five words? Together. Together. Mike, lead us. Go. Maybe today you'll find a Samaritan. Maybe he won't look Caucasian. Maybe tomorrow you'll come across somebody in need and you'll think, I'm not going to help him. I tell you, I, I, I tell you too many things in my life that are wrong, okay? But sometimes I'll come to a place in my, in my path and I'll come across somebody and, I'll, and they're, they're asking for something and I'll quite often, invariably, I'll say, ah, oh, he's probably just going to use it for drugs. Well, maybe they're not going to use it for drugs. Or this person is just lazy and they don't want to work. And, and, and that may be true many times. But I've kind of used that in my life to rule out a lot of giving opportunities. And then the Lord says to me, you know, what if this is the one person that would come to know Jesus? What if this is, you know, the shoe salesman that told D.L. Moody about the Lord? You know, little kid, snotty-nosed kid. You know, and he told him about Jesus, and D.L. Moody was saved, and look what he did. I know we have a, a president of a Christian college. I'm personal friends. I won't even tell you who he is. But he was saved on a bus route. He came from the projects. He's one of the few Caucasians that was in this project, poor, poor as could be. Someone came to that door, invited him to come on the bus, and he got saved, and been a pastor for 50 years, has a school. And, and there's so many stories like that. And so what we have to do is be people who are led of the Spirit. And sometimes you're going to come across somebody and the Spirit's going to lead you to give to them, even though you think, oh, I don't like what they're going to do with the money. But the same analogy can be used in paying our tithes or our taxes. When I first came to this church, I guess 14 years ago, I was here two and a half years, someone came up and says, well, I can start tithing again. I wasn't tithing because I didn't like what was going on in this church. So I said, shame on you. But you know all this. I said, wait a minute. God says to tithe. And he'll bless you for tithing. And whoever did something wrong with the tithes and offerings will answer to God. When... The season, when Rome was so evil, there were so many sodomites in Rome. You study the history. When Jesus said, given to the Caesar that which is Caesar, 
I mean, people could have said, are you kidding me? I'm not going to pay taxes. I'm going to hide as much of my money as I can. What did Jesus say? Pay your taxes, you know? Even though the world at that time was horrible. Horrible. So I told you those stories, which you've probably heard me say before, to go back to the homeless guy. Well, what if I give him $3 for a sandwich and he goes and buys cigarettes? Hey, if God leads you to give, give. You know, if he goes to buy cigarettes and you see him, you could say to him, I thought you were going to buy food with that. You know, that's within your rights. But the fact of the matter is too often Dan Mile, I'm not saying you, has said, I ain't giving to that guy. I ain't giving to that one or that one or that one or that one. And there's, once in a while I give in, right? One time I was at Burger King and this guy was outside, he was cold and he was sitting out by the post and I went in there and I got my two sandwiches and my side and I was eating and I couldn't get that guy off my mind. You know, when you pray for your food, the Holy Spirit sometimes just starts speaking to you and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm kind of, I get, got full quick because I felt guilty, I guess, and I thought, I can't, I can't do this. I had to go give him one of my sandwiches, <laughs> you know? So once in a while, I'm not that bad, okay? But isn't it true that we like to categorize everybody and, do, and, and, and maneuver and work around the obvious so that we can hang on to our money and we can say, ah, oh, they're all, every homeless person's a drug addict. Well, you can find some great stories about people who ended up homeless because they lost a job, when they lost a job, their wife left them, and they couldn't get another job. The area, uh, there's Charleston, West Virginia. Go up there sometime, you'll see neighborhoods empty. Detroit, Michigan, people who have had everything and they lost it all end up with nothing. They take their house, they've lost their wife, and now they're on the street, and they can't find a job. And they get so poor, they don't have money to get cleaned up for a job interview. And here they are laying under a bridge. It's happened to some people who were good, hard-working people. So let's have the Holy Spirit lead us so we can be good Samaritans. God bless us. We thank you, God, for your word. Lord, I fall far short of preaching and teaching. And Lord, you're the only one that's ever preached a perfect message. I want to be more like you. But I just pray that this message of the Good Samaritan will sink in our hearts and that we'll be doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.